You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. Merry Christmas! We are so glad that you're here, and I'm so glad you didn't come to 7 o'clock because there was no room at the end. For, I mean, it was so full, but, and, and you got a little bit of space here, so it's great. Um, so uh, your relationship to Christmas, whether you realize it or not, changes based on your age, especially if you're a dad, just like your relationship with Santa Claus changes. Uh, when you're a kid, <clears throat> you believe in Santa Claus. Then you don't believe in Santa Claus. Then you become Santa Claus. And then you look like Santa Claus. That's how that works. But the same thing happens uh, with Christmas. When you're a kid, you're dreaming about all the stuff that you're going to get. And then you become a little bit older. You become a single adult. And then you're thinking about all the stuff you're going to do. And then you become a parent. And you're dreaming of all the stuff you hope you don't get. Um, If I get another tie for Christmas, I'm going to choke somebody with it. And I'm going to start a prison ministry from the inside. And uh, I like ties. I don't wear them often. I'm wearing one tonight. And, uh, but I, I, don't, I don't wear them often, but I do like them. But I own over 100 ties. I could wear a tie every Sunday for two years and not repeat. That's, un, that's like, that should not happen. And so, and that's why now I, someone graduates from college, I just give them a box of ties. And it doesn't matter. I'm going to get a box of ties throughout the year anyway. And so, uh, but, and, and by the way, the equivalent for a mom, you know, the dad, if your dads get, get, you know, ties and wallets, um, moms get uh, coffee mugs, candles, and journals. That's like the standard gift. And uh, this must be what society thinks uh, moms do. It's like, you know, they, they light a scented candle and then they make some coffee and sit down to journal their thoughts. Like, I don't know one mom who's got time for that business. Uh, Like, the only people that are using, like, they light their candle and make their coffee and journal are, like, girls on Instagram with huge followings who are selling mugs, journals, and coffee. See how that works? Product placement. And um, you want to get a mom a quality gift for Christmas? Buy her a whistle. Yeah. Right? Hey, stop it! Penalty box! Five minutes. I'm telling you, that would work well. You just start corralling the people in your life. Woo, let's go, maniacs in the car. And then, woo, you're rude. Time out. Sit in the chair. You know, woo, I know you're upset, but you need to talk. You have to stop crying. Why? Because you're the dad. That's why. So anyway, your children are watching. And by the way, let me just say this, that, uh, and, and I'm just trying to prepare you for Sunday or, and, and, um, or if you're Cuban, Saturday, because, you know, you always celebrate the holiday the day before the holiday, because that makes sense. I've never understood that as, as many times as I've celebrated this thing. I just ask them, like, why do, we, why do we celebrate the day before the holiday? Why don't we just celebrate on the day? Because we don't do that. Like, oh, well, that, that just makes sense. And so it just makes it better, I guess, so that the day, the day comes, you've got nothing to do. Anyway, so... Um, but I really believe that most of this, the mugs and the journals that we're getting, those are all re-gifts. So just FYI, I personally believe 50% of all mugs that have ever been produced in the world ever 
have never actually been used. They're just still in circulation, just being re-gifted based on holidays and all of that. And, uh, and once again, like I said, the dad equivalent to the mom coffee mug, you know, journal, all that is ties, wallets, and shaving kits. And, uh, and we're pros at it. You get a bad gift and, you know, you get coached. My wife had to train me because it's like, oh, wow, you know, a shaving kit. Wow, I have a beard and no hair. Uh, thank you. And, uh, but so you can't do that. You got you to gotta really, you got to be grateful. So it's like, uh, so now I'm really good. Somebody gives me, I think I'm better at expressing gratitude for gifts I don't like than gifts that I do. Sometimes if someone gives me a gift, I'm, but now when somebody gives me a bad gift and I'm like, wow, wow. I mean, with all this inflation and gas prices, I needed two wallets for all my extra cash. And uh, which my wife's like, throttle it back, throttle it back, and don't be so passive aggressive. And so it's okay, okay. And, uh, but you do this, you give your kids acting lessons uh, at Christmas. You know, we, we train our kids. And listen, and the problem, you know, my wife, she's just a good person, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm whatever the opposite of that is. And uh, because she, tra- she, she trains our kids, like, you got to say you love, the, even if the gift, and I'm like, even if the gift is complete trash, she's like, you are one of the instructors here. You're trying, don't, anyway, so, so we tell our kids that they, you know, wow, thank you so much. I love it. I can't wait to use this Golden Girls Chia Pet. Thank you. And, um, and uh, I'm telling you, I'm preparing you for Sunday. Don't say no one prepared you. I'm preparing you for Sunday. So, uh, but you know, when there's, when it's a great gift or the perfect gift, there's no need to act. Uh, when, I don't know if you've ever gotten a gift that was perfect, but you didn't ask for it. You had no idea that you needed it, but then once you saw it, you're like, how have I lived my entire life without this? I mean, those are tough to come by. I got one two years ago. Uh, John, uh, he was one of our pastors here for the better part of 20 years, and then he went uh, to go start a ch- uh, church on the other coast of Florida, and, and he and I spoke uh, this week. And, um, but when he left, he mailed me a Christmas present. He mailed me uh, the very first flyer, this is how old it is, the very first flyer that we printed announcing that we were starting a brand new Bible study when we started our church, um, he, he kept it for 19 years and then put it in a frame and mailed it for me, uh, mailed it to me for Christmas. I, I was over the moon with this gift because I didn't even own one. I, never, I didn't have one. And he, he kept one. I walked around, this is not even a joke, you can ask anybody who's on staff here. I walked around with that frame everywhere. And every person who came in for whatever reason, you know, some people come in for counseling, other people come in to fumigate and whoever it was, they were going to hear about it. And and it's it's like, Hey man, I'm just trying to make sure you don't have bugs. Let me tell you about the frame. All right. And so anyway, I was just, I was, you know, it's just one of these things. It, It was so thoughtful. You had no idea you needed it, but when you got it, it was the perfect gift. And, and um, the other thing that you need to know about gifts, uh, if you're not aware, sometimes gifts are a message. And if you're married, you know this to be the case. Sometimes your spouse is sending you a subliminal, or maybe not so subliminal, message. Uh, but you need finely honed senses. Um, like if someone buys you, like on Sunday, you open a gift, someone gets you a massage, you know what that means? That means they're like, this guy is so tense. He's going to just, he's going to kill somebody. You know, it's like, give this guy a massage. He needs to relax. 
If somebody buys you a Barnes and Noble gift card, you know what they mean? Like, I've talked to this dude. He needs to read a book. Uh, you know, and so a few years ago, my wife bought me a weight bench for Christmas. A weight bench was not on my list. But she bought me one, and I thought, well, maybe that's a message. Uh, the, the following year, she bought me a workout book. And I'm like, well, that's something I didn't ask for. Two years ago, she bought me a heart monitor. And uh, it's like, okay, I think I see a pattern forming. I think in my stocking this year, there's going to be an urn. Um, and so now, now this is what I, I, I so love is that what God did at the very first Christmas was give us what we needed. We just didn't realize it because we didn't get it in the way that we wanted, but we did get what we needed. And so what I want to do, and listen, can I just tell you a little inside pastor thing, is that the toughest messages to preach are holiday messages, you know, Christmas and Easter, because um, it's not like I'm going to pull out some new information for you. Like, you're going to guess what? The child was born. You're like, what? For real? You know, it's not like, then he resurrected. Like, no way. We thought it was over. You know, it's like, you've already read it. So I'm not bringing you I'm not bringing you anything new, and so it's tough. Um, you know, I, I, honestly, it's always, it's always so tough as a pastor to say, like, what are we going to put together this year that tells everyone exactly that what they already know? And, um, but what I want to do is walk through a very famous passage, um, but what I want to do is set the scene, because I think the thing that doesn't get talked about is the context behind the verses that we look at at Christmas. And so um, if we're looking at this you know, this wonderful passage in the book of Isaiah. Um, the context is darkness. People had been living in darkness, and it was true back then, and it's true today, that people live in darkness. Now, once again, the problem is, is that as modern people, we don't like the idea of being told that we're in darkness because we consider ourselves enlightened. We consider ourselves informed. We consider ourselves forward-looking. But people celebrate Christmas, I think, sometimes without really understanding it. Christmas is a celebration that the world's wisdom had failed and that God had intervened. We have a two-story house that we moved into about two years ago, and um, there are these moments where sometimes Carrie and I are upstairs and the kids are downstairs, and inevitably, uh, with you have three kids and no parental supervision, an argument is bound to break out. And so, and so then what we'll do is we'll just you know, we'll hang over the banister and we'll just say, share, love each other, you know, just in, in, a, in a super loving way like that. And uh, you're like, take turns, Xander, you can't eat the whole pizza. I don't care how hungry you are. And so anyway, and, and, so, and so what we've been doing, you know, you, and, and whether you realize it or not, you're just, you're sending wisdom down, hoping that people will get it. And that then their behavior begins to change. And listen, let me just tell you, you read the Old Testament, that's what it is. It's God in heaven sending wisdom down, hoping that the people will catch on to it so that they start doing it and their lives get better. But when the wisdom that we send to our kids stops working, we have to come down ourselves and work things out. And my friends, that is the story of Christmas. We couldn't fix it ourselves. So God had to come and fix things for us. You see, the early verses of Isaiah chapter 9 are about war. 
They're about people who were forgotten. Those that were in darkness had been given a gift that they desperately needed. And you'll see it in the notes that we gave you. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Now we know that this is a messianic passage because in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus goes to this area of Galilee, uh, the northern part of of Israel, Matthew says that it's a fulfillment of this area, that this, th- these areas of, of Israel, that now they were, they were being exposed to light because they were, had been living in darkness. And so in places where there was no light, uh, the light of the world had arrived. And as this light is going to shine, as this child is going to be born, there's names that he's given that are going to reveal to us who he is and how he wants to shine in our lives. So we're going to start, we're going to read the famous passage in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. It says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now if you pause there, and give me your attention. What I want to do in our time together, is just for a few minutes, is just kind of walk through these names and explain them to us so that um, if we've, we've heard the story before, but do we know what the names mean? And I, I believe that the names are going to show us a little bit of who God is and what God wants to do in our lives. So if you're a note taker, number one is that God wants to infuse your life with wonder. It says that uh, his name will be called Wonderful. And most of us throw around the word wonderful like it's just this superlative that means, oh, it's really nice. How was dinner? Wonderful. How was the movie? Wonderful. How was your colonoscopy? It was wonderful. And, uh, and so now, and somehow we understand that wonderful is such a powerful word that we add it to just about anything to make it better because wonder makes everything better. You know what's better than bread? Wonder bread. You know it's better than a woman? Wonder Woman. You know who's better than your friend Steve? Stevie Wonder. Right? When you want to compliment your wife, you say your body is a wonderland. Because saying your body's like Epcot Center is weird. And so, and so but wonder, in the Hebrew language, wonder is this word, Pele, in Hebrew. It has nothing to do with soccer, unfortunately. Um, But Pele in Hebrew is something that is beyond human comprehension or natural occurrence. And so for this child to be called wonderful is telling us that nothing outside of the realm of possibility uh, to to those who follow him. It's a word that describes God's ability no matter the situation or no matter the circumstance. And so all of us are looking for a Pele kind of wonderful for a life beyond the mundane and a life beyond the ordinary, the kind of wonder that meets our needs and the kind of wonder that exceeds our expectations and the kind of wonder that makes everything better than we could have ever done it on our own. And um, Psalm 107, now the biggest book in the Bible in the Old Testament is called Psalms. It's basically 150 songs. Um, And Psalm 107 is this incredible one uh, because it's a song about Israel's history. And there's this one phrase that gets repeated over and over in the song. And, and you'll see it uh, in your notes. It says this, Oh, that men would give praise, uh, give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. And this psalm repeats this four different times. It's like the chorus to the song. And the way the psalmist writes it is that no matter what the situation is, 
God is working in our lives and we should give him thanks because whatever he's doing, it's a wonderful work. The problem is you and I live our lives in real time. And so we have a hard time seeing right now the wonderful work because sometimes the, in the moment, it doesn't feel wonderful. In the moment, we're in the middle of the struggle. And it's tough after the fact because we're usually, if you're like me, you get from one thing and you're on to the next thing. But I want you to follow this thinking with me, which I think is so powerful. Listen, if you will live this way, I'm telling you, you will have more joy than you know what to do with. But if everything you've been through in the past has been for a purpose that God has worked out, and looking back, you realize the wisdom and the unexpected way that God did what he did and that you and I could never have done for ourselves. And if that's the case for every situation in the past, and you're able to see it now because you're on the side of it, then isn't, could it be that your current situation is no different? The only difference is, is that we just haven't seen the other side of it yet. We haven't seen the outcome yet. So can I just encourage you in this, that this could be the moment, even if you're going through a difficulty, to slow down and give thanks? That giving thanks is about acknowledging what God has done and is doing in real time? Because what you'll find, I'm telling you, when you give thanks for the good that God is doing, even when everything isn't good, you will begin to see the wonder. And there is so much joy in that. It says that he's wonderful. It also says he is counselor. Second thing, if you're a note taker, is that God wants to empower your life with wisdom. He wants to empower your life with wisdom. When Isaiah calls this child that's going to be born, the Messiah, counselor, he's telling us that the Messiah wants to be personally involved in our lives. I mean, I want you to think about this. Uh, think about what a counselor does. Some of you sit with a counselor. That what they do is that they help you sort out what's already happened and put the past in proper perspective. Then they help you deal with the emotions of the present that might be out of whack based on what's happened in the past. And then, if you'll hang out long enough, they'll help you chart a course for the future with new perspective and new wisdom. But here's the thing, is that when you go see a counselor, they don't know anything about you. They're getting to know you as they're helping you navigate whatever it is that brought you into their office. The counselor that Isaiah is talking about, he already knows everything about you. He knows your strengths, he knows your weaknesses, he knows your hopes, he knows your fears. And here's the other thing is that he loves you and he desires the best for you. And if all of that is true, why would we dream of not going with his counsel? And here's what most of us can attest to if we've walked with God for any length of time, is that every time that we have ignored God's counsel, it has not worked out well. It's always painful, and we always regret it later. God's wisdom just allows us to kind of stop getting beat up by this world because the counselor is advising us and wisdom is that he is causing us to embrace. Listen, and we're enjoying the blessing that he's leading us in. He's wonderful. He's counselor. He's mighty God. If you're a note taker, number three is that God wants to propel my life with power. Mighty God could be my favorite description of Jesus in this passage because mighty doesn't just mean that what we would think is, you know, like he's strong. And the word mighty in, in Hebrew is this, uh, this Hebrew word gabor. Uh, and it means, it's translated hero, it's translated valiant, it's translated champion in the Old Testament. And 
Um, I love this because Isaiah is saying that the coming Messiah will be the hero we need to do the things that we could never do for ourselves. Now listen, and I know that it's tough because if you're here and you're young, you, don't, you think you're basically invincible. And I get it. If you're young, you probably feel invincible. You know, nothing hurts um, and because you're basically made out of rubber until you're 35. And um, I mean, I used to think I was indestructible. And uh, now I have all these pains in the weirdest places. I get hurt just by going to sleep. And it's like, and, and you know what the weird part is? It's like, I'll, I'll come into the office and the staff would be like, Pastor Bob, are you okay? I'm like, oh man, I slept wrong. And they're like, oh yeah, I get that, heard, you know. And it's like, you're, you're, you were in pain because your sleep number was off? Is that what we're, we're really talking about here? And, uh, you know, and, and that's, and, and, you know, I was driving with our, uh, so on Friday, we usually go out to lunch. So a few Fridays ago, we're going out to lunch. And um, my wife says something so funny. And um, I start laughing so hard. I got a cramp on my side. And so now I'm trying to stretch out the cramp as I'm driving. But as I'm stretching out the cramp, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do this. And I'm still laughing, by the way. And I'm in, you ever have done like the, <laughs> And so I'm doing this kind of thing, and I'm starting to swerve. I almost hit a car because I was laughing. My body can't even handle laughter anymore. And, 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 by, and because, um, could you imagine if I had hit that car? Would had Pastor Bob die? He died laughing. <laughs> Poor guy. And um, a, a while back, and I've shared this story before, I was fixing the blinds in my daughter's room. And the way that the blinds work is that they had kind of gotten unrolled. And, uh, and so you, you, you have to put one, one part goes in this little kind of hole, and then you got to move this little hook thing and then screw it in. And so I had to have the part up, but I, I mean, I'm not like nine feet tall, so I had to be on the ladder to hold it up. And so if I got down from the ladder, the thing was going to fall. So then I had this idea, well, if I keep holding it, but I just kind of hop while I'm on the ladder. By the way, this is why women live longer than men. Because there is no woman on this planet who has ever been on a ladder and said, you know what I should do? I should do this little hop. That's not how that, that works. So anyway, I decide that I'm going to do this little hop thing. So I do the hop. One is good. Two is good. And three, it all came tumbling down. And um, I fell flat on my back. The, re the part that really bothered me the most is that the blinds fell on top of me uh, at the end. That's what really added insult to injury. And then I, I made this loud scream that my daughter came in and said, oh, it's the, it just, it sounded, you know, kind of girly. And uh, it's like, and I'm like, girl, I'm trying to help you. And you're trolling me while I'm on the ground injured. This is why I have low self-esteem. And, um, and so now, and so this is my point is that we, <laughs> you get a little bit older and you realize you're not as strong as you thought you were. And I am grateful that even where I'm weak, God is strong and that God can be our champion when the fight gets to be too much for us. Listen, um, I, I want you to understand something. This was, this was the Hebrew understanding of the Messiah, that he was powerful, heroic, wise, wondrous. And you can imagine the confusion when they show up and it's a baby in a manger in Nazareth of all places. I've been to Nazareth. And uh, when I was there in 1999, it was a bad neighborhood. And uh, 20-something years later, it's still a bad neighborhood. We were in Nazareth, and we were on the, the, with this bridge overlooking the city, and, uh, and it was, we had just gotten there. We toured all day, and then 
um, we had been there for 10 minutes, and our tour guide's like, hey, get on the bus. It's getting dark. You don't want to be around here when it gets dark. And I'm like, wow, Jesus grew up in the hood. And uh, so, so anyway, <laughs> Woo, don't email me. It's Christmas. You're just going to let it go. All right? So, <laughs> but um, part of what makes Jesus the mighty God or El Gabor in Hebrew is that he didn't stand afar off to watch humanity suffer. Instead, he entered the fray of space and time and became one of us and suffered beside us and then heroically brought forgiveness and redemption to us. The point is that there's nothing too hard for him. He is mighty, he is heroic, and the best part is is that he's for you, that he's on your side. And even he's on your side even when you aren't on your side. You ever have those moments where you realize, like, I've been my own worst enemy in this situation? He's on your side even when you aren't. And he's working to bring the blessing and work out the circumstance even when we aren't cooperating. And that's why Jesus came to save us from sin and sometimes he comes to save us from ourselves. Fourth thing is he's mighty God, he's everlasting father. Fourth thing is that God wants to coach your life with care. The idea of the word everlasting father is that Jesus is the source or the author of all of eternity, that he is the creator himself. And that's one of the wonders of Christmas is that the eternal God who transcends time and space entered into time and dwelt among us. And not only did he enter time, but he promised that he was never going to leave us or forsake us. And Christmas becomes this yearly reminder that God is always with us. That's why a couple chapters earlier in Isaiah, we get this uh, prophecy about the Messiah that Matthew quotes, and you'll see it in your outline, where it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So what does that, what does that mean? It means that no matter how bad things get, God is for us, and that we're going to get through it. That's what a good father does. You know what a good father does? A good dad frames reality for their kids, and they speak life into their kids, and they model for their, who, who, who their, their kids should become. Um, you know, I, I had one of these. There, there are moments in a dad's life that are just um, kind of bigger-than-life moments, but they seem so simple. They're, they're the, I'm going to teach you how to ride a bike. I'm going to teach you how to throw a ball. I'm going to teach you, you know, how to you know, use a baseball glove the right way and how to bat. And uh, I had this moment tonight uh, before coming to church is that I had been teaching my son how to tie a tie. And so he decided, he's like, dad, I'm going to, you're going to wear a tie. I'm going to wear a tie too. And he's like, but today's the day that I'm going to wear a tie. I'm going to learn to, uh, to, to wear a tie on my own. And so we got it and we're like, all right, turn it, flip it. And, and we don't do, we don't do the simple knot in the Franklin's house. What, the simple knot is what's called the four in hand. That's trash. All right. Just if you're doing that, you just got to go. We can do a class here at Calvary and, uh, and get you up to speed. We do what's called the double Windsor knot at, at our house. And so, and it's a very involved thing, but we, he got it. And then, and so I, I walked him through, do this, flip it underneath, around. And he's like, okay, got it. It was perfect. He's like, and then he's like, took it off. And he's like, okay, now I'm going to do it by myself. And it was like, and boom, boom, flip it around, boom. And he's like, done. And I was like, you did it. And he's like, okay, I know how to tie a tie now. And, uh, and, and uh, I'm, I'm like, wow. And this was like this huge moment. And I'm like, man, this is going to be my new book, Fit to be Tied. Um, so, and, uh, and it, it, was this, it was this incredible, it was this incredible thing. Why? And it's just, it just shows you 
the, 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 the influence that a dad has with his kids. It, can I tell you that the opposite is true? And I've seen this happen so often where dads are biting and sarcastic with their kids. And you know how their kids turn out? So loving and respectful. No. They, if dad is biting and sarcastic, the kids are biting and sarcastic. True. And then I always find it hilarious when parents are so surprised. Like, it's not, you know, it's like this steady diet of like biting comments and sarcasm. And they're like, I don't know where he gets that mouth from. Like, really? What do you think? It's like Vladimir Putin? You're blaming him for this one too? Uh, and so, right, like, do, do you own a mirror? Uh, and, and so, and listen, and this is the point. As dad, we are modeling reality for our kids. The way that we speak to our kids is the way that our kids are going to speak to people. And the way that our kids think is normal for other people to speak to them. The way that you treat your spouse is the way that your kids are going to treat their spouse. This is why I love, in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, there's this uh, little passage but talking about what God does as a dad, it says this, um, or have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. That word discipline is this, uh, this uh, Greek word, uh, padilla. It's where we get our word pediatrics from. And what does a pediatrician do? A pediatrician ch checks a child's health so that they can flourish. If you're my age, right, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm bumping up against 50. It's, it's weird to start talking about my age with the five in front of it, but um, I like to think I'm 49.95. Um, so anyway, but I'm 49 right now. If you're my age and you hear the word discipline, um, you think about, you know, your parents beating you with a stick, uh, which is what I think of when I hear the word discipline, because my parents, they had no idea about timeout. I mean, I wish that was around. I don't know when that got invented, but like that, whoever invented that, there needs to be a holiday for that dude. Um, my parents had no idea about timeout. They knew about knockout. Uh, they didn't know about timeout. And, uh, but, but, you know, but what happens is, is because of that, you know, because discipline sometimes in an older generation was a little more hardcore, uh, our generation goes to the opposite extreme. Now we tell our kids that everything they do is okay. If you got a bad grade, oh, then you must have a terrible teacher. You know. Um, and, and so and this is why parenting is difficult, is because sometimes being a mom and dad is loving your kids through a, a difficult situation. Other times, what, what our kids need is a coach. And I remember years ago, Livy was about two years old, and... Um, Carrie and I went out for lunch, and we had a babysitter, and um, we got back, and there was writing all over the wall on the hallway where the kids' rooms were, and it was, you know, like two feet off the ground, you know, so it's like, this is like right in the wheelhouse of a two-year-old, a two-year-old, and then we see some handprints that, you know, when we had CSI come in and do the investigation, they were, the handprints were the size of a two-year-old, and since there was only one two-year-old in the house, that's the first person that we questioned. Um, and so Carrie and I asked Olivia, and they're like, Livy, um, did you write on the wall? She's like, no. <laughs> what happened then? Xander did it. I t I'm like, Carrie, uh, Carrie, can you believe this? This little girl is such a sinner. She can't even pronounce her own name. And she's throwing her brother under the bus for what she did. And, and listen, and, and you know what she needed right then? She needed a coach 
to teach her some of the some really important lessons about owning your mistakes and telling the truth. You know why? And I'm grateful that uh, I'm I'm happy to report that Livy is as honest as Abe Lincoln. Um, but if a child continues to lie, they become a liar, and nobody trusts liars. And you know what the other thing is? And this is the I think the part that's equally important. Liars don't trust anyone, and that's a terrible way to live your life. And so that's why sometimes you got to come in and just you got to coach. And this is why we struggle, because most of us don't want to think of God as the coach who's training us. We want, just, we want just God to take the pain away, whatever it is that's causing it. But listen, if you want to run a race that's worthy of your one and only life, then there's probably going to be some pain involved. And that, and, and that could be that sometimes God is coaching us like a dad would coach his kids. And so whether he's showering us with unconditional love or grace or he's coaching us through a difficult situation, one thing we can be sure of uh, because he's everlasting father is that he isn't leaving. Last one, Prince of Peace. And this is where, if you're a note taker, number five, is that God wants to comfort your life with peace. Now this was a huge promise when Isaiah made it to Israel because they were caught between several conflicts that they needed to decide. And, and it was, and, and listen, this is so challenging. Uh, the country of Israel at the time had split. And so there was a northern kingdom that was called Israel that had 10 of the 12 tribes. And then the southern kingdom was called Judah and Jerusalem was its capital. And so there was a, the country of Syria had partnered with the northern king of Israel to attack Judah because the kingdom of Assyria, not Syria, Assyria, was knocking at the door, conquering everything. There's two other countries, Edom and um, the Philistines, Philistia, that were invading as well. There were no good choices, except for what the prophet Isaiah was saying to the king. Trust God and watch him deliver you from all of this and bring you peace. And maybe, maybe this is how you feel. You feel like things are about to explode. And your deepest desire is for their to be peace because it's Christmas and you've got the whole family coming over and there's all kinds of family drama and there ain't no drama like family drama. And, the, and, and you don't want drama. You know why? Because you're normal. Nobody wants drama. You want peace in your family. You want peace in your workplace. You want peace in your country. And somehow every topic in our world has become the basis for an argument these days. And so the idea of the prince of peace. In Hebrew, it brings the idea of not just the, the prince of peace, he's the ruler of peace. That he's the ruler of shalom. And shalom is more than just a greeting, and it's more than just the absence of conflict. It's bigger than that. It's about, shalom is about wholeness. Shalom is about peace of mind and your mind not being in pieces. The Apostle Paul would say in the book of Romans, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace shalom is about wholeness it's about peace it's about being at peace with God it's about being at peace with yourself but what if and it's what so many of us do is that we look for peace as, as a feeling or we look for peace as a state of reality what if instead we started looking for peace as a person and the closer that we got to that person, the more peace we found. That's the promise that Jesus gave. He said in the Gospel of Matthew, he said, Come to me, all that you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so here comes the question that we have to answer, and that is, do you want rest? 
Do you want rest from the constant struggle of trying to make things happen on our own? And instead, we can live with joy without trying to control everything. And here's how. Because the Prince of Peace has come. And he wants to transform your life. Listen, maybe things haven't worked out the way you wanted it to. And listen, can I be this bold and say it, that maybe that's by God's design? Because it's when the disappointments come into our lives that we actually start looking beyond ourselves and we start looking to God and maybe that's part of what brought you here today. Maybe that's why God has allowed these things to play out the way that they have. Not because he wants us to suffer, but because he wants us to know that life doesn't make any sense without him. Because we were created to know God. We were created to walk with God. And God will use anything in our lives to draw us close to him. Because all of us need forgiveness. All of us have fallen short of God's standard. And listen, the reason why he was the baby in the manger is because eventually he became the man on the cross. Calling out and asking if we wanted to be forgiven and we wanted to live forever with him. See, God loved us too much to leave us in the state that we're in. So once again, the question is, do you want to be free? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite everyone to stand as we close. And I want to talk about this for a second before we close, this idea of do we want to be free? Do we want to be free of the things that are holding us back and the things that are holding us down? And do we want our lives to change starting right now? Some of us, we got big plans on January 1. All these things are going to change. Listen, your life could change starting right now. And all it takes is for you to open your heart to God who loves you so much. And if I can say this, and I know that sometimes, listen, you get people come to church for lots of different reasons. And you might say, well, yeah, man, I'm only here because someone invited me and I had to come, but I'm not into God. Okay. Well, guess what he's into you and I can tell you that that was my story I was not looking for God but man I am so grateful that he was looking for me so Jesus rose from the dead so that you and I could have life so that we could be forgiven and changed and maybe it's time Jesus walked out of the tomb and maybe it's time for us to walk out of this life that we've been living to say that's the life I want to leave behind there's a whole bunch of regrets there's a whole bunch of bad decisions there's a whole bunch of things that I just want to say goodbye to and I want to walk into something new I want to be free from my past I want to be free from my failures free from my hurts and guilt free from fear and doubt it's time to be free from who we used to be and enter into the life that God has for us this can be our moment where everything changes. So here's what we're going to do. In a minute, the band's going to sing. And when they sing, I'm going to invite you to take your first step in your walk with God. So from wherever you're standing in this room, I'm just going to invite you to meet me here at the base of this platform. And we're going to pray together and call out to God together. And we're going to watch God do a work. And this is going to be the day. You're going to be able to circle it on the calendar and say, this is the day that everything changed because the Prince of Peace came into my storm and brought calm to all the madness that was going on. 
Listen, this can be the moment that changes everything. And listen, I also know this to be the case. Some of us, you're here because you're a Christian. And you're like, I got to go to church on Christmas. But you haven't been to church in a while. Let's be honest, you haven't really been walking with God. This is your moment as well. To say, I'm going to recommit myself afresh and anew. I'm walking with God starting right now. I'm recommitting my life to Him because I want to leave this place different than how I came in. If that's you and you're ready, I'm going to invite you. When they sing, meet me here. And we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to see God do a great work. So if you're ready, Pastor George, lead. Jesus, we love you. Sometimes it's weird, like I want to get up there and I got to ask somebody I don't know, hey, can, could you move a little bit? I got to get right with God. Um, let me tell you something. Yeah, come on. Come on up. We're going to wait for you. We love you guys. Let me tell you something. The people in this room love you. And if you say, hey, can I get through? They're going to jump out of the way. Heck, they might even carry you over. Um, so I'm just telling you that there might be a few more people. I need to make this decision tonight. And you know you need to come up. You know you need to make a decision. You know you need to make a stand to say, this is going to be my moment that I just invite God. Come on, bro. Come on. Yeah. Say, this is going to be my moment. And if that's the case, listen, if you brought a friend, just turn to him and say, look, you want me to come up there with you? We'll go, we'll go together. And, um, and even if you came here by yourself, listen, you ask somebody, hey, I need, to, I need to get up there. And listen, this is the moment, because here's what you don't want. The thing that you don't want is to be driving home and saying, you know, that this is the thing that God was calling me to do. This is the thing that I knew I had to do, to take this step in God's direction. I knew I needed to do it and I did it. And now we've got one more regret to tack on to all the others. Listen, what we're talking about today is being free. I want you to be free from all that. I want you to be free. Yeah, come on, man. Yeah, come on. Yeah, God bless you guys. So listen, if that's you, this is it. This is it. But I know this, that God wants to do a work in your life that is greater than anything you could possibly imagine. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Okay, I think that's everybody. 
unless you say no, but this is it. Okay. Guys, so proud of you. You made the most important decision you can make in your life. You're making a decision to say, hey, Jesus, he died for me, and he wants to change my life, and this can be the night that changes everything. So here's what I want to do. I want to um, pray for you. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. It's not any kind of magic formula. They might be my words, but I really pray that they express your heart to God in this moment. So church, let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you so much that you hear us and love us and that you made us the promise that if we will draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. And Lord, these precious people have made a decision to draw near to you. And we know you're going to keep that promise of drawing near to them, of forgiving them, transforming them, that their lives are going to be different as they start walking with you. So God, I pray that you would do your work, that you would hear from heaven as they call out to you. And God, that everything would begin to change in a way that only you can change it. Those of you that have come forward, I just want to invite you to repeat this prayer. We're going to all pray it out loud. Just say, Dear God, I come to you now, and I'm sorry for my sin, for all I've done wrong, but I thank you for Jesus, who died for me, that I might have life. I want to walk with you, starting right now, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, yeah. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.